This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do, do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash DOF for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. I think what's what's become clearer certainly in the last few years as competition in the game industry has really stepped up is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business you know you could be super lucky you your game is an instant hit it's resonating with users but for when that's not the case uh, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level that's where we come in so we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. That was Melissa Zeloff, VP of Marketing at IronSource. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppsFlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppsFlyer's latest product, the Incrementality Solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's Incrementality Solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsflyers.com. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to Twig 130. We've got three articles for you. First, EA announced this new Battlefield game from the Wall Street Journal. Second, Fortnite's Mastermind goes to battle with Apple, also from the Wall Street Journal. And finally, new leadership for Overwatch from the Blizzard website. You've got myself, Joe Kim, aka Jay Diggity, Eric Kress, Mishka Katkoff, and Adam Telfer. What's up, guys? What is oh, happening? Joseph is still here. <laughs> yeah, what happened? Hey, oh. T minus two. No. Second to last episode. Next week's yeah, going to we'll, be we'll last. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Liar. <laughs> He's taking a break. Hey, there was so much good positive like comments like Joe you can't go I knew it so he's he's gonna like the way I imagine this going is Joe's gonna be away for a while and then he's gonna hear so many words on the street and he has the, and he doesn't have like the thousands of you who are listening to this 
to tell about these little secrets and he and he'll be posting it on, on the DF Slack and he'd be like, you know what? Let me just jump in on a, on a podcast episode. <laughs> yeah. He's gonna get so bottled up, he's gonna explode. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. come back on the podcast. In, Got so. it. Yeah. So we're just waiting for that. Anyway, I think uh we'll see you back, Joseph. All right. What do we we gotta get going? Everyone has nine o'clock. We all yeah. are like busy, busy, busy bees. <laughs> Let's do this. Miss Let's get to the update. So IDFA has deprecated. And basically what we'll see right now is what will happen to those that were proactive and have done a lot of busy work ahead and got the extra time as Apple postponed this deprecation. What will happen to them compared to a lot of big players that we all know who have opted to just wait and see what happens. So this is going to be an interesting um moment of truth of what has been the right strategy and we will see this you know happening in real time so let's move on to the next part i think eric suford is going to join the podcast probably next episode so he's going to talk a lot about uh what he's seeing on the streets when it comes to idfa deprecation second update mighty kingdom so this is an australian developer is ipoing at a 46 million dollar valuation so according to sensor tower I found one of their biggest games called Ava, Ava's Manor. So it's kind of solitaire plus that sort of a play rate space progression. That game is their biggest one. It's making about 400K net a month. And it's actually not published by Mighty Kingdoms. It's published by Yukon Games. They have their own published games and the account is showing declining installs and revenues with self-published games making around 30K net a month. They also have Steam games, and of course, I don't know how well those are doing. But um, yeah, so my take of it is, of course, I love Australia. Fantastic country, hidden gem. You shouldn't talk too much about Australia, how awesome it is. I just don't, but when it comes to Mighty Kingdoms, I don't kind of understand how come a company so small is going public. And it's all almost what makes me question is like, is there no VCs in Australia? Like, I think this amount of money can be can be raised, especially if you have an ongoing business. So. Uh, a little bit of a questionable uh, IPO. Um, again, I, I'm not sure where they're IPOing at. So, but they didn't raise 46 million, right? Yes, they raised. They raised 46 million. Uh, yes, the that's what they're opening at. Uh, I'm at, not sure at that valuation. That. Okay, that's, yeah, that's the valuation. It was. I, I'm. I just jumped in and right away and kind of started looking at what they are. You know what their current games are looking at, and it because it, it seemed like a, such a small valuation for uh, for a company that's going to IPO, and we've seen relatively like bigger companies that, that, than this, let's say like Next Games from Finland, um, Joe knows them really well. They IPO'd and they were so reliant on a single game that was live that, that you know, ended up costing them. And that game was Walking Dead and they made a second Walking Dead. So at least they have like a powerful strategy of working with brands, but but it's, it's, uh, it's yeah, it's a big question mark. Anyways. I I, I'm actually a huge fan of Money Kingdom um, and Yukon yeah. Games. I think they're, <laughs> Um, of course, they operated at a much smaller scale. Uh, also, yeah, Australia is not great for investment, um, unfortunately, like compared to anywhere else in the world. I don't dude, know. Australia I, I has, tw- dude, they have 25 million people in Australia, dude. That's even so less what? than Canada, dude. Yeah. You know, California, I can get investment. I can Cal- get investment. Yeah. Canada, no, California has 49 fucking million people, dude. That's why Australia is tough because it's, there's just not a big resource of people to like, Fuel companies, right? Finland has 6 million. 
Hold on. It's yeah. impossible to manage. Yeah, but you bring in people from all over Europe. Dude, Australia is in the middle of fucking nowhere, dude. Like, come on. Let's let, come on. I've, I've, we've been dealing with Australia ever since I was in this business about managing teams out there. It never seems to go well. So yeah. moving on. Anyways, uh, Pragma GG, a back-end game engine for smaller studios. A lot of the folks there are from Riot. They are still in beta, and they have raised a 12 million Series A. So shout out to Eden Chen and Joseph. Our very own Joseph did a podcast episode with them. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you can find Pragma it. Pragma is solid. Those down. guys, if, if you don't know them, you should get to know yeah. them. They're, they're a super yeah. solid team. Yeah, the, the CEO, I, I know the CEO, great guy. Um, so anyway, shout out to, to, to the team. Hopefully their scaling goes well. Hopefully they're able to sign all the best clients and move forward. Uh, very, very talented folks working at Pragma GG. Third update, payment service company Exola has announced it's now helping game developers maximize their potential with new matching service aiming to offer exit strategies. So their chief investment officer, Dmitry Burkowski, I hope I announced, pronounced this right. Uh, said our matching connect, um, our matching connects investors with properties aligned to their business goals, ensuring mutually beneficial outcome for both parties. The article also said it's worth noting that Exola Exit Strategies, which is the service, will not take any fees or compensation in connection with the matching and referral of clients to financial advisors. Nor will it have any involvement in negotiating ter the terms of or executing any transaction that may ultimately result from any such referral. So after reading this article, I think like point number one is consider changing your communication agency. Uh, it was just purely communicated, uh, very impersonal, very lawyerish term. It was hard to understand what are they really doing. There was no cases where they would explain it. It felt like, it felt like a technical press release. And number two, I'd say, welcome to the pod podcast. Tell you in your own words, what is it that you're doing? Because it sounds definitely interesting. Oh, that's God, that is so strange because they reached out to me and we talked about this. These guys are totally legit, right? They're really mm -hmm. got, a, you know, their finger on the pulse of what's of all these smaller developers. So they are in a unique position to like represent small developers. But I didn't read the second bullet. Like, what the fuck are they doing? Like, exactly. What the, <laughs> what like, who so they're, if they're not, they, they do a good job of telling you what they're not doing. What are they doing? Right. So let's yeah. uh, bring them on. Uh, yeah. they're, so, I, they're, I really like all of those guys. They, they seem pretty smart and savvy and, and been doing this stuff for a long time. So yeah. they, they are a podcast sponsor, by the way. Yeah, they are. They are <laughs> a friend listening. of the podcast. It's going to be they're rolling in the background. The so we Come have to be especially in. critical <laughs> of them. We have to be especially critical of them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Anyway, we're hypercritical of their communication agency. <laughs> so, and final one, another partner of the podcast, AppSlyer's app monetization trust strategy for iOS. They released a complete guide. So go to appslyer.com and read what AppSlyer has to say about the monetization strategies in post-IDFA era. Usually they're... they're um, their case studies are pretty good. I like that they do the benchmarks. There's usually Kabam is one of the benchmarks and you can actually read what the hell is happening in the context of games rather than this legal term of nonsense of what, what they are not doing. Anyway, off, off to the next one. So Adam, what do you got going? So for Diablo Immortal, um, I actually finally got a code. Eric, did you get a code? I did get a code, yeah, right, right after you did, so. Yeah, have you, have you played it yet? <laughs> No, you haven't played it. I have. 
And I, I, I read your bullet. And I'm like, dude, that's exactly what I experienced. This feels like Diablo. And then I was like, well, I've done this before. I'm, I'm done. I'd rather play on the PC, but that's not a good, good indicator. It looks, it's beautiful game. Yeah, so far and I, you know, the early level. It, it's it's Diablo three on your phone. It's great. Um, obviously, like they've they've done a lot of work here and like building up like net ease level, MMO. Um, uh, but then again, like I, I I've been playing for you know less than ten hours so far, and I still have yeah. to get into the deeper loop progression because I yeah, don't. The fact that there's no like monetization within the first ten hours is a little scary. Um, but yeah, well, like they, they do have the battle pass and they do have the rifts, but it does, there's nothing in there in the first 10 hours. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, like the core loop, there is no core loop. I think like, and so like, I, I, it was so funny. Cause like, I think I, two or three people from blizzard reached out to me like on, on discord or whatever. And they're like, gotcha. You know, we have a PVP end game. Look at that. There's our monetization cook, you know, Bitch. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, but like, okay, that's good. I, I actually give them credit for that. But like, if you have no core loop that's reinforced by elder loops, like it's like impossible to like build up that like early monetization and keep keep people engaged. Anyway, whatever. We will see. Uh, and well, I'm doing my rant later, and and we'll we'll probably you know discuss a little bit of this as well. So the game I, is. I love, I love I love when Eric talks. You know, systems design. When the elders, when the elder loops have to loop into the core loops and all this kind of stuff, dude. I was going to give you a compliment later, and now after that, fuck you. You're done. You're oh, it's over. Okay, thanks, on. thanks. Uh, next news: uh, Apex Legends is announcing their new permanent game mode uh, called Legacy. Um, so it looks like a CS:GO or Valorant style game mode. Um, where each round you're rewarded based on performance and you can use those funds to basically upgrade your loadout for that next round. Um, personally, I actually really like this play. Um, Apex Battle Royale has been slowly growing, actually, in the shadow of Fortnite and Valorant and Warzone. Um, but they needed some sort of big live content that excited players to bring them back. And I think bringing a brand new, a brand new game mode is definitely a good play. And the comp here is actually looking at stuff like Crossfire. Um, I know an Asian comp, a bit odd, but still, it's a great example of a game that actually competed by trying to be a collection of modes for many different player types, rather than being, say, the best Battle Royale or the best Team Deathmatch style game. Um, so, you know, th this could be an open door to say, you know, this is a slightly different strategy to kind of take on the big, uh, the big fish in the pond. Um, definitely gives a new reason for streamers to come back, talk brand new strategy about the game also gives them more design space for characters because characters are notoriously not a very scalable design space. So if you look at Warframe, League of Legends, Rainbow Six Siege, they all show signs that they really can't design that many characters that are all equally as compelling and they all end up splitting up their cosmetics. So I think like ending up bifurcating all these modes late in live actually creates situations where a character could be great for one mode, but maybe not for others, uh, which of course from the CCRPG playbook is actually really, really good for creating compelling scalable content. Uh, the only worry here is that it increases live development costs. You have, you have two pools of players needing you know maps and, and content, but overall these modes of course share events, share cosmetics. So assuming that EA is scaling up the live team for this game, which they should because it's growing. Um, this looks to be a brighter future for Apex on PC console. By the way, when did this this mode release for Apex? I think it's coming out. I think it's uh, okay. beginning of because, May. Because I swear, like everything is falling off a cliff right now in terms of engagement. Like we're getting over that that comp on, on COVID right now. And 
and and basically like GTA is dying, <laughs> NBA 2K, uh, Call of Duty is still really elevated, but it's, it's starting to fall as well. Uh, so, so where, all, where are you seeing this data? You're seeing it from like Steam charts, or you're seeing Steam it from and Xbox and uh, and uh, M Science, some other stuff. But anyway, the point oh, is okay. is that Apex is crushing it. I mean, they are absolutely yeah. their last season was one of the biggest seasons ever. And I'm trying to understand exactly what's going on. Maybe you talked about it a lot podcast last time it was like Shroud is getting more involved with the game and other like. So I'm trying to figure this out. But this mode actually could continue to elevate them as they bring in a different way of spending and and different like. Uh, Different. I don't. I don't know if they're going to introduce new ways of spending. I haven't no, seen that from the video. It's just engagement. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Few updates from me. Note for the audience, in case you aren't aware, three mobile games to watch out for coming soon. First, just talked about Apex Legends. So Apex Legends Mobile is headed for soft launch in India and the Philippines. It may actually already be out. It was announced as coming sometime in late April. Also, shout out to the team, at least on the U.S. side, working on that game. We know a couple of folks on the U.S. side. Good guys, so good luck, guys, and good job on that. Hopefully, it'll be really good. Next game is RuneScape, mobile redesign from the PC version, including revamp for IAP. The game has apparently been in soft launch for a while, has gained about 2.1 million installs so far, but the game is expected to launch later this summer. And finally, Greena. It opened pre-registrations for Free Fire Max in Mina. And according to the Garena website, quote, get the next level experience, quality graphics, and lots of new features only in Free Fire Max. Second update from me is, since this is T minus two episodes for me, I got to pimp all my shit. So Leela Games, the mobile game studio that I'm part of is hiring. We're building a free-to-play Shooter with a very ambitious and aggressive design based in Bangalore, India. Already putting a really strong team together and our venture backed by Bitcraft and Galaxy Interactive. Anyway, we're looking for three key roles. First, systems and economy designer. This has been a biatch to find, like really, really difficult to find this role. I know that pain. I know that pain. <laughs> yeah, they are unicorns. Yeah. Second, senior lead union client developers and third, an art director. And finally, just want to shout out again, Super Stonk Brothers Investment Podcast from, from myself and co-host, uh, my buddy Steve Pally from Pixelberry, link in show notes. And final update is uh, we want, I want to announce a new show host, Eric Sufert, who will be starting next week, right? Is, is he joining next week or the week after yeah. next? Yeah, okay. is He's I guess it depends on Joe. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll do like a, a group thing next week and then, uh, and yeah, it should be, should be good. All right, rolling into news. Hey, folks, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, Beta Hat, and we will be right back. I want to talk about consumer insights. Honestly, I've always had issue with consumer insights. I questioned the value and felt that CI was always somewhat disconnected from the real world. The big issue with CI firms is they don't hire people that know anything about video games and therefore don't have a fundamental understanding of what matters in this business. That's why I like Beta Hat. Beta Hat knows the business of video games and understands how to connect consumer insights to the real world. And Beta Hat helps you understand your customers, understand not only what they do, but why. They specialize in customer segmentations, brand tracking, messaging and positioning, pricing and skew planning, and playtesting through qualitative and quantitative research. There are about 10 people in this industry that I rely upon to understand trends. And one of them is Stan Kwan, the CEO of Beta Hat. Beta Hat is the best CI team in the industry. 
Go to betahatmr.com for more information. That's betahatmr.com. And we're back. Let's start the news. All right, I think I have the first one. So EA announced its Battlefield game. By the way, I, I like these notes. So JK, in your notes, it says on a big, like, gotta pimp my shit. And that was, <laughs> I'm just reading, it's just funny. <laughs> Anyways, so EA announced its new Battlefield game. So this is the biggest team ever on a Battlefield game for console and PC. They got Dice.com, Dice LA, Criterion, uh, studio from it's called Gothenburg okay it's a different name in English than it is in in Swedish it's you at the bottom anyway the different thing uh, so and a part of this huge battlefield conglomerate a new battlefield mobile game is coming in 2022 so after years of prototyping industrial toys working closely with dice are developing a completely new battlefield game bringing all-out warfare to smartphones and tablets in 2022 and no, this is not a cross-platform experience. This is a standalone game. So, okay. So this is a mass, massive push from EA to, in a way, reinvigorate the Battlefield franchise because Battlefield 5 was a miss. I don't have the exact sales numbers here, but I looked at them earlier today. They were significantly lower compared to the previous Battlefields and significantly lower to the Call of Duty franchise. And as Battlefield has, you know, taken its hit, taken its licking, because that game came out in 2018, Call of Duty, the main rival, has been doing great. So they got Warzone on PC, just super high player score. You know, Metascore was was, was an average, but player score is super high. Uh, a lot of players, just everybody enjoying this game. Call of Duty Mobile, crushing it. I think Civil War was at an okay level. You guys know it the best. I kind of look at the Metacritic and the sales numbers. It, it doesn't seem to be, you know, as big as those two. Um, but I'm not here to talk about the uh, the console stuff. That's your business. I'm here more about talk about Battlefield Mobile. So this game is made by Industrial Toys, and it's a developer in Pasadena. Their previous games from Industrial Toys have been Morningstar. I think that launched in sometimes 2013 or 14. It doesn't exist in the App Store anymore, but they also launched Midnight Star, that was 2015, and Midnight Star Renegade, which was the last game, and that launched in 2016. So they had this uh, graphical novel that supported the franchise, and they were really building a story, really building this, this um, uh, Morningstar, sort of a halo. It was, it was super cool. They were building a world around it. But sadly, the results really didn't follow from this type of a launch strategy. So their last game, uh, and all the games pretty much did the same, but the last game, which was Midnight Star Renegade 2016, did only 250,000 installs and just about 10K in revenue. And that's lifetime. And in 2018, a couple of years afterwards, it was acquired by EA. So based on, you know, Industrial Toys success or lack of it and you know the games look good and the novel and everything this acquisition makes little sense but when you start looking more deeply into industrial toys you understand this company is headed by alexander seropian he's a founder and ceo of bungie and during his time they made myth marathon halo uh so you know clearly clearly a person heading a team that that know what they're doing even though they had a couple of myths on mobile so let's talk about battlefield's chances on mobile. They have some challenges and they have plenty of opportunities. When it comes to challenges, it's of course direct competition. We got Call of Duty Mobile, just, you know, just eating the, the audience. You got PUBG, 
huge. And you got Garina, which is really taking a lot of these uh, third tier countries like the Brazils and, and Southeast Asia and so forth. In addition, you have new competition coming in. Of course, Apex, JK mentioned just recently, and as well, the new PUBG game that is coming out. So plenty of competition. The second challenge is the content treadmill that all these games are in. So how does the studio in Pasadena stack up against these Chinese studios that are making currently the PUBGs and the Apex Legends? How can they keep up with all that content you have to produce? And that's gonna be, of course, the challenge. But there's plenty of opportunities. So EA hasn't been on the cutting edge of user acquisition since, um, well, really in a long time. But with IDFA deprecating and big IP, I think that these are the major equalizers that allow EA's kind of typical uh, brand-driven strategy to, to promote these games and, and really hit top of the download charts. We saw this with, with Call of Duty Mobile. And I mean, it came from Activision that really hadn't launched big mobile game ever before. And they were able to, I think, break all the records with that game. The second opportunity here is that shooter is a highly growing genre. So in, in 2020, last year, revenues for shooters grew by 38% in the West year over year and installs clocked at 2.7 billion. And that was up by 31% compared to 2019. And later this week, we're gonna release a podcast episode uh, with a PhD who worked on Facebook's uh, marketing report. And in this marketing growth report, it really underlies that the new players on mobile are coming as a predominantly core gamers and that the genre that they're most interested in, in is in shooters. So this definitely um, adds to the value of, of this type of a big shooter IP coming to mobile. But as said, a lot of competition, a lot of existing competition, a lot of new competition and how they're gonna be able to keep up with the content treadmill is I think gonna be the biggest challenges to overcome. What do you guys think? You know, I met with these guys when I was at Kabam, you know, with Mr. Petrovic. Um, they seemed like a really good team, you know, lots of bungee people. Uh, and at the time, I thought they were they were basically ahead of their time because, uh, you know, mobile shooters just did not do well at all back then. Um, and they've been focusing on the shooter genre, for, obviously, for, I think, their entire careers, it seems. Uh, but clearly, we see a lot more success over the last few years with uh, PUBG, Call of Duty, and Garena, et cetera. Um, but I agree with you. I think the biggest challenge is competing with the content treadmill that is Teamy and PUBG and, and well, what was Fortnite and Garena. Um, I, and generally speaking, I imagine that the Apex product is probably going to be better, right? Or, you know, because this team is more experienced with building this type of shooter. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the fact is, like, the monetization mechanics have been relatively standardized with these cosmetic economies. Battlefield may get an audience if it's a decent game, uh, but it's going to be come down to obviously the overall quality of the game, which we'll see, and then the content support and the quality of that support, I imagine. Um, we'll see what they can do, but my expectations are relatively low for Battlefield and, and higher for Apex, uh, even though I think Apex is going to be a challenge given the uh, Twitch-based nature of their gameplay, but I think they're making modifications to fix that. So we shall see. But of course, I will bow down to Adam Telford's genius and brilliance because obviously I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, after You're really comment, salty today. Wow. Well, okay. I, I, I wrote this really nice note for you and then you just fucking ripped me a new one. You know, well, I like, did. I just read your note. So that's nice. At least right. I, I, I get to hear it. Right. <laughs> so that's nice. Continue. Uh, but, but I do get to make fun of Miska now. Um, yeah, well, you, please you need do. to play. You need to play more PC console, right? Like, 
There is no game called Call of Duty Civil War. There is oh, <laughs> Call of Duty War. never Cold went War. to the Civil War. It's Cold, Cold War. War. <laughs> it was that would be the worst the worst shit ever. But boom. <laughs> that is boom. actually the game they should make. That you know, America. <laughs> that was not Anyways. the right. Wait, that was not the right email. Wait, it's like, what is it? Like boom, and then you're like yeah, you got to use the yeah. right stick to bring it in. Put it on the right stick. Down. All right, yeah. moving on. <laughs> that was the that mobile was... controls for that. I keep okay. ripping on Mishka, dude. Come on. Okay, um, but yes, no, I completely agree with you. you actually, you you said it exactly how I would, right? EA internal competing with Timmy Lightspeed Garena makes no sense. We've said this so many times in this podcast. Um, the the shooter market is not one that you can just waltz into and assume that you can compete with these guys on live content. Um, so yeah, I completely agree. Apex has a better shot at this, um, but even still, they're still very unlikely to surpass COD, PUBG, and Free Fire in the West in their first year, just because it just takes a lot of time. You you remember the initial predictions that we all put together for COD right at launch, and just how long it took for them to get their RPI in shape, right? I knew that they're gonna get there. Uh, so yeah, you said a billion dollars life. Your <laughs> mouth, Mishka. You didn't know jack shit. <laughs> I was so hyped on that game. Hey, I got a question regarding this game. So um, how do you think EA is, is publishing this? Because they have Apex coming out of, you know, coming next year and they have this game. So two major shooters on mobile coming at the same time. I think Apex is coming out late this year and, and Battlefield's coming out late next year. Okay. Right. I, I think, um, yeah, I think their Battlefield's pretty far off. I don't know why they actually, frankly, I don't know why they, I guess they announced it with, with the uh, announcement of the, of the new battlefield or some more details around the new battlefield for console. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And plus like if apex does do really well, then they'll just give more time to battlefield. Yeah. Right. And I do have to say EA has a lot of content studios. Like they have one, I almost said here, not here in one in Europe and Romania. I think that's a big studio where they do a lot of content. So there's definitely ways to leverage, but at the same time, Romania is extremely far away from Pasadena. Like it's it's almost like on a different planet. But anyways, so you know, good luck to them. Uh, I, I think I've I've actually met with the uh, with with the industrial toys team and uh, connected with that with Alex to to join the podcast uh, a little bit later. So curious to hear what they're making and and how is it going because I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Especially Myth was a, was a massive game. You know, I was in love with that game and was in love in, in Halo, so I'm definitely rooting for them. Anyway, Myth? What 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 game? Myth? myth. Yeah. Myth. Like Are you talking about the CD-ROM? Yeah, like the point-and-click adventure game? Yeah, yeah, kind of like a strategy game. Like, they have these dwarves, they, sh- they, they point threw and it. Point-and-click adventure Mishka, game? Mishka, all right, Mishka, <laughs> come on, man. Are you really making a shooter? Like, <laughs> what does that have to do with building a shooter, making Myth, dude? Myth was like a CD-ROM game in the 80s, dude. So what? I loved it. Uh, what? I can't. Do I have to love all the shoot? Like only like I loved Halo yeah, too. In reference to what they're doing now, it has no connection whatsoever, dude. It's just it, they uh, had the they had the poster of that game in the studio, and I was like, I love that game. So right. can we move? Can we move on, please? <laughs> all right. Next news article. So Fortnite's mastermind goes to battle with Apple, and the Wall Street Journal is reporting on the current battle waging between Epic and Apple. So the article recaps the situation, which I'm sure most of us are all pretty aware of, but then fills in a lot of interesting details and some of the backstory about Tim Sweeney's fight to get an alternative app store on iOS. 
So the Wall Street Journal notes that a resolution may also be drawing near. Starting May 3rd, the dispute goes back on trial before federal judge Yvonne Gonzalez-Rogers, YGR, to get Fortnite back on iOS. And I just wanted to highlight some interesting parts from the article and would definitely encourage folks to, to check it out if you're not familiar with the situation. But first, you know, Sony actually internally debated its position initially, but since then, Sony has, as many of you know, invested twice into Epic, most recently for around $200 million at a $28.7 billion valuation. Apparently, according to Wall Street Journal, Sweeney played hardball with Sony, and actually Sony felt they got backed into a corner with respect to Apple and were strong-armed into allowing cross-play across game consoles. So it's interesting to see the tactics that were being employed and just how strong Epic was with respect to both Sony and with Apple. And according to Wall Street Journal, Mike Schmid, head of Apple Games BD for App Store at that time, gave highly preferential preferential treatment to Epic in which Apple provided, quote, all hands on deck treatment to address Apple's nonstop ass, which frequently involved middle of the night calls and texts demanding short turnaround. Further, according to Schmidt, he said Epic employees had told him Apple represented just 7% of its re revenue. Further, that, quote, on a variety of occasions, Epic personnel have told me that if Apple did not comply with its demands, Epic would simply terminate its relationship with Apple and remove its games off the iOS platform. Uh, next point is that Epic co-founder Mark Rain predicted there was a greater than 50% chance Apple would immediately remove Fortnite from its platforms, according to an Epic employee deposition cited in court records, and that, quote, they may also sue us to make an example, which kind of shows that this was highly premeditated and that Epic did scenario plan a lot of this stuff. And behind the scenes, Epic's Project Liberty team met regularly, regularly and devised a way to present their plan to a judge and the public. And this team included as many as actually 200 Epic staffers, outside lawyers, and a PR advisor. Finally, Wall Street Journal notes that by early 2020, Fortnite was showing signs of aging. And according to Center Tower, Fortnite had fallen in Q1 of 2020 to 70 million in revenue from a peak of 180 million in Q3 of 2018. But just to be clear, Epic disputes these numbers. My take on this is that we've already talked a lot about, uh, about this before, but from the sound of how everything played out, this was, as I mentioned, it does seem like it was clearly premeditated, carefully planned out in the end. My take is that Tim Sweeney isn't interested in one-off games. He's completely focused on platforms. And so when you see this strategy against, and also their strategy against Epic Game Store, it makes their strategy make a lot more sense in that, you know, Tim Sweeney wants to own platforms, not just games. He's probably seen how games are successful and, and then kind of wane. And so clearly owning the platform or the store is much more valuable than owning games. What do you guys think? <laughs> we need to get the lawyers back. I want to know, I want to get an update on what this, 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 this case is all about. Uh, these days and wh how, where it's going and where it's likely to end. I think I, I think we're kind of waiting for this case to be over so that we actually can see what Epic is actually doing because I'm just getting all kinds of mixed messages about what what they're planning on doing. Um, so anyway, I it's interesting. I don't know. I, I don't have. A, I think this is the like a, we could do a whole podcast on on this thing, you know, and 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 
you know, like sort it through. So I don't know. But, we, else? but again, we need, we need lawyers in order to do that. Yeah, None I of know. us are experts at this yeah, to know what's right. going to happen. David, but it's nice to know that they on. make 7% of the revenue from iOS. That's a nice every, number I'll put in my podcast pocket. episode. I think we need lawyers like at the end of the episode. <laughs> this is one. <laughs> Just too complicated. All right, moving on. Now, this is going to be a long one, so buckle up. And if you get bored, just just hit pause. <laughs> and this is not meant to be a rant. It's just meant to be a thought piece, right, about what's going on. It's a rant. Um, <laughs> so the article, it's not an article. It was actually a press release, a new leadership for Overwatch. So Jeff Kaplan is leaving Blizzard. And, you know, the real headline here is I don't think Blizzard is ever or Blizzard is never in quotes going to be a successful software as a service. That is kind of the 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 line I want to like reinvigorate here. Um, and I want to get you, I want to want you guys to understand why I think this, right. And, and what I think is going to likely transpire. And this is ironic because they were the original software as a service were world of Warcraft, right? World of Warcraft is, was the original one, right. Um, but transitioning to a free to play software as a service is going to be a challenge. All right. So let me begin. Jeff Kaplan, Jeff Kaplan leaving, was really the impetus for me, right? For some reason, this guy feels like the last straw. And so what I did was I put together a list of all the people that have left Blizzard and I was gonna quote that on the, on the show and I'm not gonna do that, but Morheim, Frank Pierce, Metzen, Metzen, and the Hearthstone team, those guys bailing was pretty traumatic, I think for Blizzard. But for some reason, Jeff Kaplan just is, is it just feels like the end of days for Blizzard, you know, when someone like him is actually leaving. And I do expect a huge excess of people leaving Blizzard after Jeff leaves, because when people like Jeff leave, it gives the 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 okay, the permission for others to jump ship, right? So, and my understanding that Jeff was actually going to stick around till the end of Overwatch 2, right? That was kind of like the word on the street, as Joseph would say. But my guess is that the feature requirements, the feature creep, Activision pushing, 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 probably extended the development outside of next year. And so he pre basically had enough and bailed. That's kind of my, my, my expectation. So you don't, if anybody expects Overwatch 2 to come out next year, I think you're going to be disappointed. So we'll, we will see. Or actually on the flip side, now that I think about it, they may have like pulled back on interest and may trying to push it out next year. So the game's not going to be that good. Either one, not a good situation for Overwatch 2, just generally speaking. So and then I also don't think that Jay Allen's going to stick around after his contract because I think he's he's losing hair and and you know getting wrinkles, and people like Tom Chilton and Louis Baraga who are all Louis Baraga's running Diablo and, and I don't know what Chilton's doing, but I don't think these guys stick around that much longer anyway. But let me back up a bit. Like I, I just want to I just want to go through my thought process here because I think I've been very inconsistent on this these points, and I just want to be clear on this, why I think this. Okay. I'm very lucky at what I do, right? Because I get to talk to really smart people. Fuck, I talk to Adam Telfer every goddamn week, you know, and he eats, shits, and sleeps. Freaking free-to-play monetization. Fucking awesome, right? Chris Petrovic, boiled the ocean for fucking a decade and understanding all these game companies. Kimberly Pointer, who like basically was one of the pioneers of, of, of performance marketing at Kabam. And then Mishka, well, I actually don't know what Mishka is really an expert in, but Mishka, oh. right, I talked to Mishka, right? <laughs> But I get to talk to all these experts in gaming and get a deep understanding of what the fuck is going on in this industry. But on the flip side, I talk to investors. And so this is why it's like the Jekyll and Hyde thing, right? And more specifically, hedge fund and portfolio managers that are that, that cover this industry. But they also cover like 100 other companies, right? So one step, they can be talking about free-to-play monetization for GTA. And the next, they're talking about like 
chip yields for fucking semiconductor companies, right? So they provide, you know, insane, they have insane amounts of information that are coming at them constantly across all segments of technology, right? And, and they have very proprietary data. And that's why I never advise anybody to trade in stocks because these guys have such big advantage to everyone else. But anyway, that's a whole other podcast, and a whole other discussion. So the point is, these guys are super smart. I mean, really smart, right? They have a very high understanding of things at the high level. And I was talking to this client, a prospective client, actually, and you could tell he's really smart and he really understands his games. And um, but and I, if I were to be honest, I think he taught, listens to Bobby Kotick a little bit too much. But we spent an hour on the phone, about 45 minutes was discussing this issue with Blizzard, right? Can they become a software as a service studio, right? And, you know, can they build, or and can they build the successful mobile games and the free-to-play mechanics to their existing franchises? Like that was kind of the, the other. The whole point of this is I get two sides of the same coin constantly, right? And my job fundamentally is to translate one into the other, right? And that, that's what I did. But I think on this point, I'm a little bit wishy-washy. I was a little bit back and forth because I, 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 and so that's why I was trying to crystallize my idea about why I think Blizzard will never be a successful free-to-play company. Um, so anyway, what's, okay. All right. So on the podcast, I know that I've been talking on both sides of my mouth about this issue, right? On the one hand, I criticize companies like Sony who have no capability of building software as a service. On the other hand, I lambast Activision and EA for trying to change Bioware and Blizzard into that, into that fold, right? I criticize Supercell and King for how they manage their growth despite being the best companies in the business. And so I thought I would just kind of break down Blizzard and, and explain why they will never become a free-to-play company. And I, and I use never in quotes because I think ultimately they will, but it's gonna take an entire time, a huge time. And I think when you say never, it's a great clickbait. Um, so, there are four big themes, culture, team structure, IP, and monetization design. These are the four things that I was thinking about when it comes to this. Let's get the easy ones out of the way. IP. Blizzard definitely has the IP fit. I mean, there's, there's a dozen turn-based RPG makers out there that could build a billion-dollar franchise with their, their IP, right? No doubt, right? Between Diablo, Warcraft, Starcraft, Overwatch, Hearthstone, this is not an issue. Compare this to Nintendo, which really does not have any IPs that fit a certain live service model, or something like Bioware, where their content is not well suited at all, like Dragon Age and Mass Effect. Well, Mass Effect maybe a little bit, but they're all focuses on narrative and exploration. So this is not an issue for Blizzard, right? This doesn't mean it's easy. This just means that Blizzard has definitely has good fit for IP. Monetization diet. I think the models are out there. Like we talked about the season pass model. We talked about this, you know, monetizing cosmetic economies with, with, with the huge install base. Like, I think this is, it's out there, right? I think, you know, there could be a big sticking point for some old school Blizzard people about monetization design, but, you know, like loot boxes and energy systems may be off the table to some degree, which limits their upside and their potential. But I think they can, they can figure it out, right? They're not going to institute play to win mechanics, most likely, which limits things, but they can build games that that um, that make money given the current monetization design, but I think when things start to fall apart, it's team structure, and and this is where you know I I, I don't, I've never worked at Blizzard, but this is from what I hear. They have like five or six teams that focus on certain IPs, like World of Warcraft, Diablo, Hearthstone, mobile project teams, and Overwatch. Right? Vicarious Visions, I think, turned, took over the StarCraft team, is what I understand. But anyway, this this structure makes sense for premium content, but I think it doesn't make any sense for uh, for free-to-play, right? What I think they should have done is build completely new teams that focus 
on mobile or focus on free to play and let the people that build the old style games stay still build the old style games, right? Um, the challenge is they have these lifetime premium premium content makers that are trying to build free to play content, right? And that's impossible. Like they, they don't have the same mindset. And and and, the, and even if the execs are on board, the staff is not into the idea of building free to play models and don't understand how free to play works. So they're not really uncomfortable with the business model. So alignment with the teams is creating all kinds of division frustrations. And ultimately what we're seeing right now is delays. And I think that's a huge problem right now, right? World of Warcraft team is cranking it out because they're doing what they've always done. Overwatch, Diablo are spinning. They shuttered the StarCraft team. The Hearthstone team just all left and now is in complete disarray, right? It seems like that all the, it seems like some of the mobile teams may have some autonomy, but these lead designers that come from traditional development move to mobile, which just seems like a complete mismatch from the get-go, right? And in some cases, the design ideas weren't taken up. And so uh, some of them left in order rather than sticking around and moving back to older projects. So I think this is where things start to fall apart is the team structure. But culture is the biggest thing. And, and this is what I have talked about before is that the culture around bread around premium product just does not work for free to play. How many times did Morheim say they would never do microtransactions? You know, similar to Nintendo, their whole mantra of the company has been last 25 years has been creative integrity, quality first, and consumer first. Games are not done until they're done. You know, these kind of notions. This is almost the opposite of the spectrum of what free to play is, right? So even if you convert the leadership. And, and, and they're converted on what, what needs to be done. How can you cascade this to the broader organization, which came to Blizzard for, because of this mantra and this culture? So in short, you can't. It's an impossible situation. And this is kind of the, you know, the title of this whole idea is that Blizzard is never going to be a successful software as a service company because you cannot force this down their throats the way Activision is doing. And you're losing all the talent that made Blizzard what it is. And this creates a situation we are in now, right? All the games are delayed or continue to be in development hell. You have creative teams trying to put together a third person Diablo game, which goes against the heart of the IP. You know, like you don't do that, right? Overwatch, which was a very successful game driven by, into the dirt by becoming an eSport. Like bringing eSport in the mix never made sense because it was the worst eSport game ever, right? It doesn't make sense as an eSport. It never did, right? But this was what, what was forced from Activision. You have teams spinning on mobile with no end in sight. The Diablo Immortal team, Diablo Immortal itself is being reinvented in the image of the old Blizzard games rather than maintaining the design that NetEase does best. You know, like why would you even do that, right? So I think we are seeing in real time what I've been talking about for the last like four years is that the dismantling of one of the most creative game teams in the industry, right? I don't think Blizzard is ever going to be to be successful as software as a service because by the time they figure it out, it won't be Blizzard anymore, right? And that's the kind of the whole point. They, it, they will get there, but it won't be Blizzard. It'll be something else. And, and that's what's so sad. And that's why I think Jeff Kaplan in general kind of is like the exclamation point of, of, of what where Blizzard is headed and where what Blizzard has become. And it's very, very sad for me. And I think sad for a lot of other people. And I'm actually surprised that this has not gotten more attention from, from press. Like it seems maybe they're just so fatigued by all the discussion here or all these people leaving that no one's even covering this anymore. So anyway, that's my long kind of long-winded description of what I think the situation is and why, why I don't think Blizzard is gonna be Blizzard anymore. And, and I'm very sad. But if, if you were Kodak, right? What would you be doing with the assets you have at Blizzard? Would you be doing the same thing, doing this slow transition, or would you do what EA did with Bioware, which is basically 
acknowledging that that's the way that they're always going to be and just push those IPs towards premium uh, only? I think I would, I think I would do a, a, a few different things. I would, I would, I would restructure Blizzard into the, you know, three team, you know, three or four teams that focus on what they do best, like building World of Warcraft, you know, building new IP, and then, you know, supporting building Diablo, maybe, right? But building it the way they want to build it, like maintaining that culture and those creative visionaries and 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 keeping those them, them whole. But to leverage those IPs into a free-to-play service, you build completely separate teams. You do acquisitions, right? You acquire a team that knows how to do, uh, you know, uh, RPGs, right? And, and, and build a Diablo as a service or build Warcraft as a service. Like, you just basically take it out of that and, and put it in teams that, that are built to build that and, and, and completely build it. Because that, that eliminates the culture issue, right? Um, but, no. but I guess that the difference that they have right now, right? Just, just to keep prodding you on this. So you have the internal teams and you say, you're gonna keep doing what you've always been doing very, very well. So you continue to build out Diablo, you continue to build out Starcraft, all those amazing IPs, but they're very much a premium game, right? Obviously, that goes the same way that Bioware is now. Now you say, I'm going to take all your IPs and I'm going to hand it over to teams and give them complete creative control to be able to build the free-to-play service. Right. Likely, that's what Kodak tried with Immortals, right? Like I'm speculating here, but the fact that NetEase was there and then eventually got to a point where now Blizzard is almost driving that project, which again, I think has been covered in articles to make sure my data source is there, right? Maybe Activision tried that and that, could have caused talent attrition anyways, right? Like you think of Kaplan or any of these, of Morheim, if they heard that Activision was just grabbing their IP and sending it off to, you know, uh, mobile free-to-play teams without any overlook from them, um, they would probably not take that well. Does that make well, sense? Well, no, no, but that's, well, I, I think that's a much easier way of managing this than trying to force it down the throat of people that don't want to, agree. that want to be creative, right? And so- yeah. No, and actually, you know, that strat that was the strategy I would have done is like give it to Netties. Like this is exactly the strategy I would have done. But instead, now they're trying to overmanage it, is what I'm guessing. And I, I, I talk, you know, whatever. I, I, I think they should do, do what they did with Diablo. Like that's smart, right? Oh, give it to Netties. They know exactly what they're doing with this type of game. If they're going to make, if this is going to work, they're going to make it work. Now, there's all kinds of other issues here. I don't want to go too deep into the design thing. We've talked about this in the podcast before. But that's the strategy I would have done. Like take. The same way they did with Call of Duty and and Teamy, right? Right? Like, you don't you think the Call of Duty team at Treyarch or or um um sorry I'm blanking. Yeah, Raven. Yeah, do you think any of those guys could have uh, created Ward, the, yep, the mobile yeah. game? No fucking way. No fucking way. That would never have happened, right? So that's the right. That's the way I would do. It's just basically either build it or or license it or or co partner or even co dev whatever. But don't push it down on Blizzard, right? And, mm -hmm. and 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 so like I guess I don't want again I've already talked enough about this but like I again I'm kind of on both sides here right I know Bobby what Bobby's doing is smartest for the shareholders but there's got to be a more uh, eloquent way and a more uh, play, uh, um, Blizzard friendly way or, or you know talent friendly way to do it and 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 it just it's just it's just horrific 
right? Horrific. It's an insanely difficult situation for for both Activision and Blizzard, right? Like this is obviously where they need to take those IPs, but they know any way of doing that is just going to cause such talent attrition because that's how the company was formed. Right. You're right. It is an impossible situation. And, and I, and I, but I, I just, I just want to be clear on my point and as to why I'm so schizophrenic about this is because I, I do see both sides. Um, and then maybe I'm a little bit closer to Blizzard because I just am I'm a huge fan and it's just really sad to see. Um, but we'll see. And then, you know, like four or five years from now, when they start actually, you know, change the culture has changed and basically everyone who was, you know, built that company is gone, then maybe they, they'll start to execute. But I guess my biggest point is the reason that I think this is such a risk is because we're seeing the impact of what to the company right now, right? Everything's being delayed constantly. Delay, 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 delay. And then the design is questionable for Overwatch 2. We'll see what happens with the Immortal, but that doesn't seem to be on track. I don't know what's going on with the other mobile projects. I hear that they're looking good, but my understanding is that, I don't know, we'll see about that. The only thing that's working is World of Warcraft, right? Because it's the same fucking game, team playing, building the same game, you know, over and over again. So, <sighs> I'm exhausted it's, now. It's, it's an interesting situation because I think kind of Zynga went to something similar, but a little bit, you know, different because it was the, the first iteration of Zynga. And of course that was the free to play maker, but, but they had their own strategy of doing things. And then the turmoil started the decline and then the, the Dometric era and then the Pincus came back and only after Frank Jabot took over, they, they were able to, to kind of turn around, but even the, in this turnaround, they haven't shipped their own games. They kind of, you know, went on the acquisition spree and leveraged their internal capabilities. So looking at that as one of the examples of a turnaround where you have a, uh, a way of working and you're trying to reinvent yourself, I don't think Blizzard has the same type of um, same type of a tool set to reinvent themselves. You know, they can't just start acquiring studios or, I mean, they could to, you know, set up a bunch of Blizzard studios and, and then kind of like let them do the Blizzard games rather than do them internally because it seems like they're locked to a certain way of making games that might not be the best for all kinds of, you know, modern games. I, I don't know. Just yeah. I, I think that this issue in terms of, I, I think there's two things that probably somebody should deep dive into sometime in the future, which is the difference between, and I've, I've talked about it before too, like the different in skill set in terms of building new games versus live operating games. And then to your point, Eric, about team structure, I don't think enough execs, especially at the at the HD companies, understand that in terms of the the structure of a team for a live ops type of game, the workflows, the way that these teams should operate are, are is fundamentally different. I, I think that's just not well understood enough in the industry, especially by execs. So having somebody kind of speak to that and deep dive on that stuff and what the differences are and why one approach kind of sucks relative to another would probably be good for somebody to cover at some point in the future. Yep. I guess, you know, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, (laughs) I'm a little sad. I guess I'm just sad. Jeff Kaplan. I don't know. I don't know this guy. I've never met any of these guys, you know, but you just hear him. He's beloved in the community. I don't know. Metzen was that way too, you know. I mean, Morheim is one thing, but I don't know. Do you think they'll all just go to Dreamhaven? Yeah, I mean, I think Metzen's doing some kind of like a tabletop or or like he's got some D and D thing going on or something, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I have no idea. Retirement. I'm sure he's made his money. I think he got burnt out, frankly, with him. But I, I, 
he, he left a little bit earlier. Um, and then no, I think bonfire. Kaplan joins. Yeah, yeah, bonfire. The, I think Kaplan likely joins uh, Morheim and creates another team there. I never like. I think they're num- that would be number four team there. They're just going to take everybody. Yeah, but and then like all of those teams are all going to be building premium games. Yeah, and what's the what, so the irony? Now I'm talking at both sides of my mouth. So the the, the Morheim, one of the teams is going to the StarCraft guys are all going to be building another real time strategy game. Like really, real time strategy game in this day and age? I don't know, dude. But no, uh, no, no. real time strategy is where it's at, man. It's 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 not lack of demand. It's lack of product. Oh, you really? are so out of your goddamn mind, dude. <laughs> no, hey, not, wait, dude. what are we in the nineties again, dude? No one is plays real time strategy games. So we're we're Joe. No real, wait, hold on. Real time strategy games right now is fucking MOBAs, dude, on PC. Dude. Yeah, that's real time strategy. Yeah. They, like I, like I, the audience for strategy games back. is MOBA. Oh, he's right? talking about Frost you, you, I would say there would be an evolution of MOBA that would take it closer to real-time strategy. That could be a really interesting Yeah, spot. I do think that Frost Giant, I mean, I'm excited to see what they come up with, but I don't know if they do it or not, but I do think that more on the resource management side and that type of game, I, I think it'll come back at some point. Some Somebody will figure it out. Oh, we will see. But anyway, anyone have any comments about my baloney? Please uh, reach out because I, I do like love the feedback and tell me <laughs> tell me where I'm wrong, right? All right, guys, I think that's it. Catch right, y'all later. Bye. Subscribe, like, share, everything. <laughs> <laughs>